During an interview with DJ Dennis Elsis on WNEW-FM in New York in 1974, John Lennon drew listeners' attention to the unusual middle eight of I Call Your Name, a song the Beatles had recorded and released in 1964. When you presented the album to me, I noticed I Call Your Name, which A, was a song I wrote when I was about 16, except for the middle eight, which we did scar. Uh, now it's called reggae. It was blue beat. It was a bit like rock and roll. Uh, reggae. It went through different periods. It was blue beat, then it was ska, and then it became reggae. And this is our first attempt at sort of Jamaican, and it's in the middle eight. Have a listen to these isolated tracks of the guitar and drums on I Call Your Name to hear the sudden and unexpected turn from the jangly blues pop into ska. Not too shabby, right? Imagine that whole song as a ska song. Now remember, this was from 1964. So what was going on that the Beatles decided to drop ska into one of their earliest songs? Sit back and I'll explain. When Laurel Aiken arrived in England from Jamaica in 1960, he was wearing his rude boy finest of shades and a pork pie hat. Signed to the nascent London-based Blue Beat label, he was one of the first Jamaican performers to release a song, Boogie Rock, which caused a stir on the UK charts and helped put the label on the map. Fast forward to 1962, when Byron Lee and the Dragonaires appear in the first James Bond film, Dr. No, which was set in Jamaica. The movie and its soundtrack further popularized ska to the white British public. By 1964, as Beatlemania was reaching a frenzy, there was also an explosion in the popularity of ska music. And like everyone else in England, the Beatles were listening. Just a few years later, the band would experiment with Jamaican music again, but in a bigger, more direct way. Welcome to I Don't Like Reggae, I Love It, a special audio series of the Skaboom podcast that focuses on the historical origins and impact of reggae on popular music that will explore the phenomena and cultural implications of cod reggae. As reggae became part of the musical landscape, more established white rock artists began to experiment with it. 
soon direct musical influences like dub effects, reggae-style guitar and keyboard rhythms, and missing drum beats and side stick also began to find their way into popular mainstream music. As more non-reggae artists began to appropriate the sound of reggae, and white audiences responded, this new regatta de blanc, as the police called their second album, received a less-than-flattering name, Cod Reggae. It's a harsh but efficient way of describing reggae music reconfigured for a mass audience. In this episode, I'll go back to the beginning and tell the story behind the granddaddy of all Cod Reggae tracks, Obla Di, Obla Da by the Beatles. But before we get started, you may be asking, what is Cod Reggae? The meaning of the word Cod is thought to have originated in the 19th century and is almost exclusively a British term. Cod in the sense of joke, hoax, leg pull, appears in the early 20th century and features in James Joyce's portrait of the artist as a young man. Quote, some fellows had drawn it there for a cod. Cod also functions as an adjective. Bernard shares slanguage, quotes a politician on Irish TV news saying, quote, that's a cod argument. Everyone knew what they were voting for, unquote. So by definition, cod reggae means faux, joke, or nonsense reggae. Given its etymology, cod reggae would seem to have some, but not all of its historical roots with the arrival of a wave of West Indian immigrants to England as part of the Windrush generation in the late 40s and early 50s. The swingin' 60s scene in London increasingly featured the American and Caribbean sounds of soul, reggae, and ska. A popular venue for hearing ska and rocksteady was the Q Club in Paddington, one of the first black-owned clubs, established in 1962 by Jamaican-born Wilbert Campbell. Better known as Count Suckle, Campbell had made his name working as a sound system operator. With Count Suckle and others playing the latest records from Jamaica, Places like the Q Club, which were a regular venue for shows by Prince Buster, Don Drummond, Rico Rodriguez, and Roland Alfonso, were introducing ska music to an audience that featured a who's who of some of Britain's biggest pop stars, like the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, who were often seen at the club. 1964 was also an important cultural turning point. Around this time, a white British rhythm and blues musician named Georgie Fame released a cover of the Prince Buster song, Madness, which further promoted the sound to a white audience. Madness, madness, they call it madness. Madness, madness, they call it madness. It is strange. At the same time, Millie Small was also having huge international success with My Boy Lollipop. Soon both white and black British teens were learning how to dance the ska from the instructions included on the back of album covers. 
as Ska Fever took off, the BBC aired a television documentary called This Is Ska. Since 1959, the West End of Kingston, Jamaica, has throbbed with a musical beat. A hypnotic sound of surging excitement and power. People hearing it became caught up in a frenzy and couldn't help moving to this pulsating, almost religious beat. This is Ska! During the second half of the 60s, Ska evolved into Rocksteady, and by 1968, Rocksteady had further evolved into an early version of reggae, which clearly had an influence on Paul McCartney. Obla Di Obla Da was written by McCartney during the spring of 1968. The author Paul Saltzman, who was with the Beatles in India in February of 68, recalled watching McCartney and Lennon working together on the song. Saltzman wrote, quote, I looked over, and under Paul's toe, under his sandal, was a little torn piece of paper. And I look over, and in his handwriting, it's Obladi, Oblada, Bra, La La, How the Life Goes On. And I'm sitting beside Ringo, maybe five feet away from Paul, and they start singing it and really working with it. Only those words, only John and Paul. Ringo was just quietly listening. The Beatles spent an astonishing 42 hours completing Obladi, Oblada. At one point, Lennon had grown so tired of recording the song, he reportedly came into the studio under the influence of drugs, sat down at the piano, and banged out the well-known introduction. It stayed. McCartney lobbied for the song to be a single, but was vetoed by his bandmates. Instead, the Scottish group Marmalade took a note-for-note version to the top of the UK charts during Christmas of 1968. Given the song's Jamaican roots, a band called The Bedrocks, made up entirely of young Jamaican immigrants who lived in Leeds, recorded a rock-steady version of the track, reaching the top 20 of the UK charts. Apparently, McCartney and his then-girlfriend and future wife, Linda Eastman, said they both liked the Bedrocks version best, out of all the cover versions up to that point. So where did this song come from? Obla di, obla da, life goes on bra, was a catchphrase McCartney had heard a Nigerian musician named Jimmy Scott Amukapur, known as Jimmy Scott, used frequently when they were together in a club. The phrase was from the Nigerian language, or Hoban, for life goes on. 
Scott had come to England in the 1950s where he found work as an in-demand percussion player. He played with Georgie Fame in the Blue Flames, backed Stevie Wonder on his 1965 tour of Britain, and later formed his own Obladi Oblada band. McCartney related the story of meeting Scott during an interview in 2018. We used to go to the clubs mm-hmm. late at night, drink, dance, maybe a little food. And there was a friend of mine who I befriended in the clubs. He was an African guy. He was called Jimmy Scott. And, you know, we would jive together just, hey, man, you know, what's going on? Yeah. And he would say, oh, bloody, oh, bloody, life goes on, brah. <laughs> Yeah, man, yeah, yeah, man, you know, and I just love this. And I would go, oh, bloody, Jimmy, you know. And he, he had a few other sayings. Nothing's too much, just out of sight. Right. You know, so I loved all these little sayings. The fact that McCartney used his catchphrase as the basis of the song later became a matter of real controversy with Scott. According to McCartney, quote, he got annoyed when I did a song of it because he wanted a cut, he told Playboy magazine in 1984. Quote, I said, come on, Jimmy, it's just an expression. If you'd written the song, you could have the cut. According to several websites dedicated to the Beatles, Scott actually played congas on the recording session for Obla Di Obla Da in July 1968, the one and only time he worked with the Beatles. Later that year, Scott was arrested and taken to Brixton Prison to await trial on charges of failing to pay alimony to his ex-wife. He asked the police to contact the Beatles' office to see if McCartney could foot his legal bill. McCartney did, on condition that Scott drop his case against him over the song. Scott's brush with ska and reggae music did not end in the 60s with the Beatles. In fact, just as two-tone was exploding all over the UK... Scott joined a short-lived ska and reggae band called Eyewitness that had as one of its members Rob Hingley, who would later move to New York City where he would found the Toasters. In 1983, Scott joined Bad Manners and toured with the band for three years. I was lucky enough to see him perform with the band at the Ritz in New York in 1984. He's featured on the band's one American release, Forging Ahead on Portrait Records and Mental Notes on Magnet Records, and was still with the band when he died in 1986. According to Buster Blood Vessel, quote, We'd just done this tour of America, and he caught pneumonia. When he got back to Britain, he was strip-searched at the airport because he was Nigerian. They left him naked for two hours. The next day, he was taken into hospital, and he died. Nobody is too sure how old he was because he lied about his age when he got his first British passport. He was supposed to be around 64. While there is a sad ending to the Jimmy Scott part of this story, it turns out that Obladi Oblada is the perfect pop song, and this is according to science. In a study published by researchers at the Max Planck Institute in Germany, the 1968 hit from the White Album outranked other famous pop singles as being the song most close to perfection. Researchers started by analyzing 80,000 different chord progressions from 700 songs recorded between 1958 and and 1991, Obla Di Obla Da came out first. 
During this series, I'll be taking a deep dive into well-known and obscure COD reggae tracks, including Dreadlock Holiday by 10CC, Redondo Beach by Patti Smith, Bella Lugosi's Dead by Bauhaus, Peaches by The Stranglers, and more. If you've listened and received some value from this episode, then please help support the podcast for as little as $3 per month on Patreon. Supporters get access to exclusive content, like special episodes of this series, and advanced promo chapters from the book. Just go to patreon.com backslash skaboompodcast for more information. Thanks for listening. Take care.